that's where we're going to be. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to look at a very interesting story. Uh, and so I'm going to read verse 1 uh, this morning. And then we will go through the rest of the chapter today. But we're going to use verse 1 as our introduction. Uh, and then we'll kind of pause there, set up the story again, kind of where we left off, where we're going. And then we'll jump right into it. So read along with me. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. There's a reason we're going to pause. There's a reason we need to set this up because there's some verbiage in here we need to kind of bring to the surface and, and talk about a little bit. But let me clarify a little bit kind of where we were last week. Talked about strength and courage, right? Moses ends his uh, leadership over the people, passes away at the age of 120, passing the reins, passing that torch on to Joshua. So we talked about that last week. And so now here, if we remember, Joshua was getting the ready, or excuse me, getting the people ready to go. He basically went through the camp, told the leadership, say, hey, tell your people, you got three days. Get the provisions ready, break down your camp. We got three days, and the Lord is going to fulfill his promise to us and bring us into the promised land. So here we are now. He sends two more spies into the promised land, especially Jericho. So a couple questions. Number one, why Jericho? Simply enough, it is the first fortified city that they're going to come to when they cross the Jordan. With where they're at, perched on the doorstep, Jericho is going to be the first main city they will approach. So keep in mind, we just spied out the land. Last week we talked about Joshua and Caleb and the other spies that went into for 40 days spying out the land and bringing back uh, fruit and produce and, and a word. So these spies now are not so much being sent in to determine if we're going to go. That's already been determined from the very beginning, right? Probably before the Israelites even came out of Egypt, it was determined God was going to bring them into the land. So this is not a matter of if they're going to go, but how they're going to do it and a little more military strategy as to how they're going to come in and overtake, especially Jericho as the first stop on their journey into the promised land. Question number two that may have come up in a lot of people's minds. Why go into a prostitute's house and lodge there? There's been a lot of controversy about Rahab over the years because some people will define her occupation as an innkeeper. That has been some of the translation over the years. She may have been an innkeeper, but her profession is exactly what we think it means. She is a harlot, a prostitute in every respect. So why would these two spies then go in and lodge with a prostitute? Well, number one, the reason those exist is strangers and travelers and journeymen along the road are going to, as they're coming into Jericho, it was common practice to visit such a place. So strategically, not a bad place for two spies to hang out and go unheard of, unseen. 
So let me just make this very clear. There is absolutely zero inclination in the text in any translation at any time that there was any certain connection. Okay, I'm seeing your eyes, you understand what I mean. Between Rahab and these spies, none. So don't assume that, don't go there. The text does not imply or put that out there in any way. Make sense? Clear? Okay. But there is purpose. A greater purpose as to why. And how she is going to play a part in the protection of Israel as we talk about her role beyond this one story. So, that's kind of where we're at. So let's read the next section together, and we'll continue on in this study. Verses 2 through 7 in Joshua chapter 2. Verse 2, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went, but pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forts. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So let's pause there again. So we see something very interesting take place, not really understanding. If this is all you read, there's a lot of questions that come to the surface. (coughs) Question number one might be, how in the world did the king know? How did word get to the king that these spies had come and had come to Rahab's house? That was kind of just thrown out there all of a sudden, right? I don't know if that jumped out to anybody else. But obviously, through their journey into the city, word started to spread. Now, what we're going to read, and I'll just kind of lay it before you, is Israel's reputation precedes them. There has been tremendous word about Israel coming out of Egypt, what God had done. Like I said, I want to get too far ahead of you, but word has spread. And somehow, through maybe other men that were visiting Rahab or had come in contact with these guys and they just didn't quite look familiar to the Jericho community, somehow, some way, word gets back to the king. And he immediately sends messengers to go to Rahab's house because that's how the word came. So we can surmise that maybe some other men who had visited Rahab saw the spies, heard about them, or maybe overheard or whatever else, and sent word on. And so that's kind of where we're at at this point. So Rahab, though, what we see is immediately lies to the king. She doesn't tell him the truth. She lies to the king about who these men are and where they're at. To save their lives. She saves their lives. So we come across what might be labeled a philosophical conundrum. Why in the world is God going to use a lying prostitute 
to further advance his purpose, his people, and his kingdom in this whole thing that's taking place. So why do we focus on the lie and not the prostitution? That's kind of like the question I think we want to talk about. Okay, so she lied. Everybody lies. I'm not going to have anybody raise their hand because all of them would go up. Everybody's told a lie. And typically nowadays there's this thing called a little white lie that comes about where it doesn't really have a monstrous effect on anybody's life or situation or nobody's lives are in danger so you tell a little white lie to save somebody's life we've all told little white lies you steal the cookie do you eat before dinner no i didn't i promise we've all told lies but we're going to focus on this lie for a particular reason but it brings up a conundrum simple question is it ever okay to tell a lie I'm going to give you three seconds to think about that. Three. Done. Is it ever okay to tell a lie? Parents, with your children or other children in the room, go ahead and answer that question out loud. No. Don't you teach your children? Don't lie. Don't stretch the truth. Be honest with me. And when they do, and we catch them in the lie, what happens? There are consequences. So a lie is kind of a serious matter, isn't it? But nowadays, in fact, if you Google, is it okay to tell a lie, you'll get, I don't know, whatever Google populates, some tens of thousands of different websites, psychological websites and all these other journals and whatnot that answer that question for you. And you know what a lot of them say, at least the top results that I perused? Yes, it is. It's okay to lie. <laughs> Gentlemen, you know a question I'm about to ask? Getting ready to go out on a nice night on the town, getting all fancied up, takes you about five minutes, but your wife's been working about an hour. She comes to you and says, how do I look? Now, you may know the immediate correct answer. Beautiful. <laughs> and you, or maybe a better question is, because of course your wife is beautiful. But well, maybe the better question to ask is, do you like this outfit or do you like this dress or whatever else? And in your mind, you're like, mm, no, I really don't. But you don't want to say that because you don't want to hurt her feelings or have to sleep outside. So you might tell a little white lie and just say, yes, that looks nice. When in reality, you really don't like it, but you don't want to hurt feelings. So is there anything wrong with that? Yes. <laughs> All you Christian church people know the answer. But society would say, according to all these articles, Nothing wrong with that. Not a big problem. Not a big deal. It's not going to affect world affairs. But what does God's word say? And in fact, first thing in your notes that we're going to point out this morning as we talk about whether or not it's okay to tell a lie is no matter what the situation may be, a lie 
is a lie and counted as sin according to God's righteous standard. I'm going to read that one more time. No matter what the situation may be, a lie is still a lie and counted as sin according to God's righteous standard. Very quickly, I think the verses are, are in your notes there for you, but Exodus 20, 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not lie to one another. Proverbs 12, 22, this is a heavy one. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. No matter what it is, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Is lying wrong? Yes. At any time, lying is wrong and counted as sin according to God's righteous standard. So let's look at Rahab's situation. She lied. So how do we deal with that lie? A lot of people will say, why are we even focusing on this? She's a prostitute. Isn't that the bigger issue? It can be. But that's not what has saved Israel. A lie brought salvation to the people of Israel in some respect. So let's look at that. How do we deal with that? So another, let me bring you to another example in Scripture. If you want to turn there, go ahead. Exodus chapter 1, just a few books back. Exodus chapter 1. So Israel's growing presence in the land is, is causing Egypt a lot of concern. Their numbers are growing. Okay, the people are expanding. They're getting more powerful. The people of Egypt are getting concerned. So this is where Pharaoh steps in, the king of Egypt, and says, we need to deal with these Israelites. We need to deal with these people. Bring them into submission. Control them. Because they're getting a little too powerful and becoming a little bit too much of a concern for us. So it is at this point the king decides we are going to enslave the people of Israel and keep them under our control. So if you look at verse 12 of Exodus chapter 1, says, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So even though they were becoming slaves, even though they were working them hard, they were still continuing to multiply, continuing to grow. And that was a concern. So jump down to verse 15. Exodus 1, we're going to read verses 15 through 21. Here's what the king decided to do. It says, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. An outright lie according to God's word and God's law, is wrong. So why would God bless them for telling a lie? We need to focus in on the words of who these midwives were. They feared God. 
They had an understanding of who God is. And maybe in so doing, we can maybe surmise and guess that they probably knew a little bit of God's word and thought, I am not going to kill God's children. So they told a lie to save lives out of their reverence for God. Does that excuse the lie? Go ahead and answer. No. It doesn't excuse the lie. A lie is a lie. A lie is sin according to God's standard. So what these women did before the book was even written is they fulfilled Acts 5, which says we must obey God rather than men. But it doesn't justify the lie. Not at all. In this situation, the midwives felt compelled to do and say what was necessary to save lives and not allow the babies to be murdered. And in so doing, God decided to honor them because of that decision. But the text doesn't condone or excuse the lying. So let's take a look at the next portion back in Joshua chapter 2 and kind of work through this process a little bit further about Rahab's lie and see what took place. So Joshua 2 verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So there's something we need to understand in this moment. Before we deal with this concept of lies. Do you hear what Rahab vocalized? Do you hear what she said to the men? She found faith in God. We need to read that very carefully. She found faith in God. How? She simply heard the stories. Through all the travels, maybe people coming into Jericho or visiting her or whatever it might be, stories were told about these Israelites. Stories were told going back to their initial exodus from Egypt and how God parted the Red Sea and that they could walk across. How God delivered two mighty uh, cities and, and kings and, and possessions into their hands and they defeated them. Those were the kings of Sion and Og. But what did she specifically say, and how do we know that Rahab found faith in God? She declared him to be what? The God of heaven and the God of this earth. She wasn't just repeating stories. 
She didn't just say, I heard about these things, and I'm so afraid that you're going to kill me, I'm going to save your life, and maybe if I scratch you back, your back, you'll scratch mine. That's, that doesn't stop there. It is, he is the God of heaven and the God of the earth. That statement right there declares to us that she found faith in God and wanted to be a part of that journey. So here's the next point in your notes. The testimony of God's salvation, provision, and protection of the Israelites caused Rahab to come to faith in God and have a proper fear of God. We read that in Scripture a lot. That we are to fear God. Fear Him properly because we know He is the God of this world, created everything, and therefore at any moment, anything can be under His thumb and He can destroy it. There is a proper, healthy fear of the one who has created the world and that can destroy the world. But a proper fear also can be read as reverence. Because of who he is, I've come to faith in him and I can trust him. Because he's provided for you, he brought you salvation, he's protected you, that's a God I can serve. And she verbalized that. So she found salvation in God, even though Jesus technically, physically is not on the scene. That's why I love these stories. So let's take a, a, a little further look coming back to the lie. So like the midwives in Egypt, she felt compelled in the moment to lie out of reverence for God and what? To save the lives of those that were connected to this God that she has found faith in. Does it justify her lie? No, it does not. Doesn't make it okay. Doesn't excuse it. At some point, when all is said and done, and God brings his judgment on the earth, and those midwives and Rahab stand before God at the judgment seat, they will have to be held accountable for the lies that they told because we all will stand before God and be held accountable for every sin in our life. Doesn't excuse it. Doesn't justify it. Doesn't make it okay. Because we can find a story in Scripture and look at the opposite side of the spectrum. You don't turn there, but in Acts chapter 5, we read of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. As the church is being built and the people are coming together, they're selling all their possessions and kind of putting it into the pot. And everybody's taking care of everybody as the, the initial church is being formed. And Ananias and Sapphira follow suit. They see, okay, this is what we're doing, so we'll sell the land, but we're not going to sell all of our stuff. We're going to keep a little proceeds back for us. So what we read in Acts 5, verses 1 through 4, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. The understanding was that 100% would be brought. So Peter responds, and he says this, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? 
Because while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? So whether you kept it or sold it, the land is yours. But what he says is, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And the result of that story is Ananias loses his life. Somewhat of a harsh punishment, maybe in our perspective. What the world would say is a little white lie, no harm, no foul. And yet Ananias and his wife Sapphira lose their life because of the lie they told. But yet here the midwives and Rahab are telling lies. So how do we, how do we work this out? So here's what I'm going to tell you. Ready for an answer? I'm not giving you an answer. I cannot in any respect stand here behind this pulpit and tell you when it's okay to lie and when it isn't. Did you hear those words? Who am I to tell you by what we read in Scripture, that in this scenario it's okay to lie, and in these scenarios it's not. I'm not here to do that. Because as God's word is so evidently clear, going back, a lie is a lie. A lie is sin. And we are held accountable. Only in these situations... The lie was not excused. It was not justified. All we know is that it was not directly or immediately held against the midwives or Rahab by God. It's up to God what he does. And all we, all we know and read in those two stories is that they told a lie to save lives out of reverence for God. So if you're going to walk away with anything, if you're ever in a scenario where you have to lie to save a life out of reverence for God, I'll leave that between you and the Lord is what you want to say. That's all I can do. But it's an interesting thing how in two specific stories, lies are told that's a sin to save lies, and yet it's not dealt with. And yet, on another scenario, a lie is told to benefit an individual and in their financial situation, and they lose their life. So again, I just want you to hear, it's not up to me to tell you when you can lie or when not to lie. You read God's scripture. You have to determine in your heart, between you and the Lord, what the situation may call for. But here's what I want you to walk away with from this first portion. As we talk about truth and lies. That God's plan, it's your third note in the top section there. God's plan will always be accomplished. God's plan will always be accomplished according to his will, regardless of how we help or hinder the situation because of our sinful action. That's what I gathered from this. God's plan, God's will will always go forward, always be accomplished. Whether he uses us in this scenario despite who we are or because of our sinful action, try and hinder that plan, the plan will still be accomplished. And I'm just going to have you think about one story maybe someday we'll study and read through. Think of Jonah. 
I'm not talking about lies. He was very truthful. Don't like those people. Don't want anything to do with those people. I'm not going. A prophetic whiner is Jonah. But what happened? God's plan will always be accomplished. No matter what we do or how we try and hinder because of our sinful action or selfish ways, God's plan will still be accomplished according to his will. Amen? Let's look at the final portion of chapter 2 this morning. We're going to read verses 15 through 21 and talk about a different subject. (laughs) Salvation. Verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. And hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So in short, after the pursuers had gone out, she lowers them, the spies, out the window, sends them on their way, but gives them specific instruction. Because I know the pursuers were going to go along the road all the way to the Jordan. I think some say the Jordan... uh, Riverbank to Jericho's walls was roughly about five miles, give or take. Something like that, if you want some perspective. So these guys were following the road. They were searching. They were looking all the way, it said, to the fords of the river. What that simply means is that's where most people would cross the river if they were going to. But once they got to the river, didn't find them, was done. But they gave themselves three days to search for these spies. So she says, go into the hills, wait three days. Because in three days, they're going to go, they're going to search, they're going to come back and give a report. At the end of three days, come out of the hills, go your way. Very strategic, very well thought out, very well planned. But here's what we read out of all of this. In this section, point number one, Rahab, in the midst of her sin, comes to faith in God can't emphasize that enough in the midst of her sin she comes to faith in god in the midst of being a lying prostitute she finds salvation and at this point nothing is said about her leaving that career choice Not until chapter 6 will that be revealed. (laughs) So in the midst of her sin, she finds faith in God. What does Romans 5.8 tell us? For while we were yet sinners, while we were lying prostitutes, 
you know, everybody's a prostitute in some respect as a sinner. Prostitution is simply idolatry, the service of self. So we all have prostituted ourselves to some respect in some form or fashion. Maybe not in a career choice, but in other ways. So while we were lying prostitutes, God still sent his son to die for our sins in the midst of that sin. Point number two, what does she then do? She acts on that faith. She acts on that faith to save others because of her fear of God. Remember we talked about last week in Joshua chapter 1. God said, keep these words close to your heart, in your mouth, on your mind, and then what? Go. Go. Because it's not enough to just have faith in God. It's not enough to just believe in God. Even the demons believe. But what justifies her faith is that she acted on that faith. She acted on that faith to save others because of her fear of God. And point number three, her continued obedience to fulfill her promise and do what they asked of her by faith. It was simply by faith. Isn't it all that? By faith, Rahab heard these stories about the Israelites and this God. By faith, she accepted that God as one she could believe in. By faith, she acted to save the men, these lies, these spies, because of her fear of God. And now she continued in obedience simply by faith, by the word of these spies, that they would come back as long as she brought her family into her house and she hung that scarlet cord out the window by faith, hoping and waiting that they would come and retrieve her from those walls before they ransacked the city. Are you hearing me? By faith. Trust. She found faith. She acted on that faith. And then continued in obedience to that faith. Is that a word for us today? Absolutely. Quick side point. Interesting correlation. Coming back to the song we finished up with. At the cross. Christ's blood ran red. Anybody catch the color of the cord that she was supposed to hang out the window? Scarlet red. But I want to make this correlation. She was to hang this scarlet cord out her window as a sign to those that were coming in judgment against the city. They would see the red cord and know there are people there that needed to be saved. Now, you're going in one of two directions. I see your faces. You know where I'm going with this. But you're either going to the New Testament or you're going to the Old Testament. I'm taking us to the Old Testament. We're going to stay there. Anybody remember the original Passover? What did the people have to do in order to be saved? Spread that blood on their doorposts. And then what? Be obedient to what God told them to do and wait. They were to gather their family into their homes, go through the meal preparations, 
spread the blood on their doorposts, and wait. But when God's Spirit saw the blood, what happened? He would pass over. Because in the midst of God's judgment in that story, God was going to kill all what? Firstborn boys, children. You see this crossover? So here now, she is to gather her family, come into her house, hang that red cord out the window, and then what? Wait. Wait for God's salvation. All by what? Faith. All by faith. Let me give you a few scriptures to ponder in this. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What beautiful words that Paul would write. Now, now use that in light of the story of Rahab. There is neither Jew nor Greek. God is the God of all. And anyone, even a lying prostitute, would call on the name of the Lord. And she found salvation. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Can you be further off according to humanity and our, our judgment way of sin? That if you were to come in contact with a prostitute who was a liar, what would we as humanity do with that individual? Push him aside. Stay away. That's what humanity does. But what does God say? By my son's blood, saying, come here. You're the exact person I want to use to help further my kingdom. It's an amazing picture. One more. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. So that blood that they spread of that perfect lamb over the doorposts, that scarlet cord that represents the blood of Christ hung from the window, and the actual blood that was spilled on that cross, every single circumstance, that blood brought what? Salvation. Forgiveness of sins. No matter who you are, no matter what you're caught up in, whatever's going on, the blood of Christ covers you and washes you clean. So are you caught up in any sort of habitual sin? Are you all sinners? Yes. But I want you to think for yourself. Are you caught up in any habitual sin? Like Rahab, she made a career choice out of that sin. 
What do you go back to time and time again? Sin after sin after sin after sin. And maybe you don't think there's any way out. I just can't get rid of this issue. You need to hear that the blood of Christ covers you. Washes that clean. Takes it away. Nailed to the cross. And there is salvation in that. He desires a relationship with you. Just like he looked at the lowest of the low in Jericho and said, I want you to be a part of my family. I'm going to use you to further my kingdom. Anybody, no matter what, God wants a relationship with you. Has he sent people in your life that has given you an understanding of who he is? Has he placed people in your life that has told you stories of his graciousness and his goodness and his mercy and his forgiveness? Anybody in America can nod their head and say yes. <laughs> I don't think there's any square inch in this country where God's name and the name of Jesus Christ has not been spoken. I'd be very shocked to find one. We, at least in this country, our country, our area, are without excuse. It is just now up to us and whether or not, like Rahab, we heard the stories. Now are we going to place our faith and our trust in him? And then act on that obedience, act on that faith. He simply requires faith. That's all he asks. Go back to Ephesians 2. We're saved by what? Grace through faith. You don't have to get clean and then put your trust in God. He loves you exactly like you are. But loves you enough not to let you stay there. Because he's giving you a way out. Now, let's bring this to some conclusion today. This is not the last time we'll hear about Rahab in Scripture. God had an amazing plan for her. That her story would be used time and time and time again to bring others to salvation in Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute, See, she never even got rid of that stigma. Just like you. You're always going to be so-and-so the blank. Unfortunately, your sin will follow you and other people will use that against you to try and pull you down. But you can say, no, that's where I was and this is who I am now in Christ. That's the miracle transformation that God can provide. So don't live there. Don't stay in it. But you can use your past to show people who Christ is and what he can do. So the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. What does that tell us? That all of Jericho was found disobedient, meaning what? 
Jericho was not an innocent population who had never heard about God. We talked about it. Rahab mentioned it. People were coming in day after day speaking about this God, speaking about his salvation, speaking about what he's doing for this people, and he's coming this way. They had known about God and chose to ignore him. Rahab did not. And simply because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We hear about her again in James chapter 2, verse 26. James writes, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You can have all the faith in the world. But unless you put that faith into action, it's meaningless. If the Israelites said, thank you, Lord, for bringing us to the promised land and never crossed the Jordan, that's it. It's meaningless because the story's not done. So in the midst of Rahab's prostitution and lies, God loved her and used her to help fulfill his plan. He didn't excuse her lifestyle. So if I need to, for whatever reason, stop justifying your sin. Stop excusing yourself from the things that you do because maybe you haven't been caught yet. Because we will all stand before God one day. So rather... Have your sin revealed now so we can work on it and God can use you rather than wait for the moment when you have to stand before the creator of the world thinking you had made it, thinking you had, whew, nobody found out about what I was doing or what I was engaged in. And Jesus looks you square in the face and says, I knew exactly what you were doing. I died for that. And yet you continued on as if my death, my blood meant nothing to you. Revealing your sin hurt? Absolutely it does. Is it uncomfortable? 100%. But you expose it now so that God can continue to transform you and renew you and then use you to further his kingdom. Again, he didn't excuse her lifestyle, but allowed her the opportunity to leave it behind. You hear that? Somebody needs to hear that. He allowed her the opportunity to leave it behind. He didn't force her out of that wall and into salvation. He simply gave her instructions. Hang the cord gather your family, and if their family had faith in God, they would have gone into that room, that house, and waited. She didn't have to tell them, but as we'll find out in four chapters, they did. But he gave her a way out. Happened to be down the side of a city wall, but it was a way out. And she took advantage of that. 
And ultimately, what maybe a lot of us don't know is that a lying prostitute who found salvation would find herself the direct descendant of Jesus Christ. I'll let you read through Christ's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. You'll find Rahab's name in verse 5. She would become a direct descendant of our Savior. Quite a story, isn't it? No one, no one is outside the grasp of God. So if you can do anything with that, you sitting here right now, you guys listening online, if you found faith in God and you've acted on that salvation and you are fulfilling your purpose, praise God, keep going. But now you become the messenger. You become the spy. Searching out the land, finding those that need salvation and just tell your story. Tell of the goodness of God. Give your testimony. That's how Rahab came to faith. Because others were telling the story. Others were sharing about who God is. And that's all we're required to do. And you let the Holy Spirit do His job. But you've got to be willing to go, speak, do, and apply it to chapter 1 with all the strength and all the courage that God will give you to go and do what he calls you to do. So we're all required to respond. We are all required to respond. But you're going to do that in your way between you and the Lord. What do you need to hand over to him? And recall what he had already died on the cross for. And now... Go, live in His grace. You're already renewed. You're already washed clean. You don't need to do it again. Stop with this works-based salvation that says, oh, I messed up. Now i got to go through all this and get clean before God can use me again. That's false. That's a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. Rahab, in the midst of her sin, found faith in God and immediately started to be used by God. So walking out these doors is your immediately to live in God's grace and act on what He's done for you and what He's given you to do and go and do. Period. <laughs> Make sense? Amen. Let's pray.